Very blessed New Year to you. This morning, the meditation is going to be taken from Psalms 20. Psalm 20 is a good prayer, and I've titled my sermon, A Prayer for the New Year 2020. I don't know about you, uh, one of the things that attracts me to Christianity, among other things, is the all the paradoxes in the Bible. I look at the cross, because I went to a Catholic school, I look at the cross, Jesus hanging on a cross, I say, what kind of belief system is that, that you have your Savior dying on the cross? How can victory be accomplished through death? Through the, through the ugly defeat of a cross, the Holy God is justified. How does victory come through defeat? How is healing comes through brokenness? When you are last, you are considered first. Giving is receiving. Dying is living. Losing is finding. Least is the greatest. Poor is rich. Weakness is strength. Serving is ruling. You know, all these paradoxes kind of attract me in a sense that it is different from what I knew, what this world had taught me. And uh, this morning, Psalms 20 will guide us through that. One of my main goals this morning is to move you away from being self-reliant to God-reliant. Let me try to see if this works. Uh, I have difficulty with this. Uh, can you... Let me try again, okay? All right, good. All right, good. It works now. And, and this morning, what I want to do is to help you to see, you see, for us in the kingdom of the world that we live in, one of the things you say someone is mature is when the person is independent, right? You train your kids when they're young, they go to school, you guide them, you provide for them. And then when they reach an age, they're independent of making decisions, independent from your support and all that. They are considered mature. They're considered an adult. But in the kingdom of God, is the reverse. The more mature you are, the more you learn to depend on the Lord. So in the kingdom of God, the, 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 our growth, the more mature we become, is that we discover what it means to learn to depend on the Lord. And so if you walk through your Christian life, it's all about just you making decisions and all that, then you are considered very immature. You've never grown to a stage where you know how to depend on the Lord. So as we grow up in Christ, we actually become more and more aware of our great need to depend on the Lord. And this is certainly one of the most the, the reversals that happens in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world, grown-ups are more self-reliant. But in the kingdom of God, 
spiritual grown-up are exactly the opposite. They are more aware of their need of God. And so if you are becoming more and more aware of your need of God, then you are actually moving down the right direction as a Christian. It should be that way. As you mature as a Christian, you should discover more and more that you need God more and more. It depends on God more and more. So every element of our self-reliance must be put to death by the power of God. Because the Proverbs say there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 14 verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. And if you're going to depend on yourself, it's going to lead you down the pathway of death, in a sense. And God-reliance, I want to move you from self-reliance to God-reliance. And God-reliance means to depend on God's limitless resources and ability, abilities to help us in every situation at times. You know, they all often say that there are generally three types of people in the world. The one type is called atheists. Atheists is someone who don't believe in God. They say there is God. And then you have agnostic. Agnostic say, uh, I don't know. Maybe there's God. Maybe there's no God. And then there's theists. Theists say there is God. So atheists say there's no God. Agnostic say, I don't know. Theists say there is God. But I think there is a fourth type of people. Is what I call practical atheists, meaning to say they are convinced that there is God, there is a God. They believe there is a God, but they live their life as if there isn't. Practical atheists. So conceptually, you believe in God, but in your practical life, God is not in the picture. And in the book, uh, Reset, uh, David Murray says this. He said, lots of people call God creator, but live like evolutionists. It's as if life is about the survival of the fetus, rather than about living like a dependent creature, trusting our creator rather than ourselves, and according to our maker's instructions. So this morning, this is what I hope to do. I want to use Psalms 20 as a way to, as a prayer. Because you're going to see it's a beautiful prayer. It's, prayer by, it's written by David for David. It's a king on the eve of a battle. They're going to be attacked. They're going to war. Uh, and as such, he gathered the troops together and they uttered this prayer to the Lord. It is a dependent prayer. And so I want to use this prayer as a guide uh, to help us navigate through this year, 2022, as we don't know what it's going to be like, 2022, just like in 2021, at the start of the year, we don't know what 2021 is going to be like. So let me just uh, read through these Psalms first, as it's a beautiful, simple prayer. And then I'm going to give you eight words, eight words that the Psalmist, or David, you can pick it up, that he used to move from self-reliance to God-reliance. And then there will be one word from God. Eight words from us that we can pray. One word from God. And then I'll give you two illustrations. One contemporary one and one uh, from the scripture. And then that's it for today. So let me just read to you Psalms 20 first. 
May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May He remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May He give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to His anointed. He answers Him from His heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of His right hand. This is the key verse. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. As I said, these requests were from a king, King David, who was ready for battle against a national foe. We do not know the specific context. I believe we can personalize this request from a child of a king who is ready for battle against a spiritual foe. So I want us to look at this prayer as petitions we can ask from God in our lives in the coming year. I agree with John Calvin. John Calvin is a reformist about this psalm. He said that the occasion of his composition at first may have arisen from some particular battle which was about to be fought, either against the Ammonites or against some other enemies of Israel. But the design of the Holy Spirit, in my judgment, was to deliver to the church a common form of prayer, which, as we may gather from the words, was to be used whenever she was threatened with any danger. So whether it is the church or whether as an individual, I think this prayer is practical and it is relevant to us uh, as we face our spiritual fall in the coming year. So let me give you eight words. Eight words to pray, and some are overlapping. You can't really so uh, um, separate it in a sense. So we will move through very quickly. Eight words to pray as we move forward from self-reliance to God-reliance. And this is my prayer that uh, if, if I, I, in my, I was just thinking, it, it, it would be wonderful if we have a formula, isn't it? The secret of Christian life is, you know, you can fill in the blanks. And if I have, I would say the secret of Christian life is actually learning to rely on the Lord, learning to depend on the Lord, learning to recognize that you can't do it on your own. That's why I say it's, it's completely opposite to what we know in the world. 
It's about self-reliance, about human, you know, I mean, the whole philosophy of humanism is talking about that. It's all about you. It's all about you. God is not in the picture. But Christianity is not like that. It's learning to depend on the Lord because you know how, you don't know how weak you are until you face a big, big foe. So the first one is, it was to pray. The first one is in verse 1 and verse 9. It's called, answer me. Verse 1 says, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. Answer me, Lord. It is a sign of dependence. It is moving from yourself to God. You're, you're seeking God for help. You're seeking God to intervene. You're asking God to help you. Answer me when you are in distress. And verse 9, again, as just read to you, Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Christianity is about relationship with God. You're not praying to an idol. It's a relationship with God. Holy Spirit lives in us. We believe in God. God gives us His Word to, to, to teach us, to learn from Him. And so there's a relationship that goes on. And we can pray to God. And praying is always a number one sign of your dependence on God. You're learning to rely on Him and not on your strength. Don't be a practical atheist in a sense. When you believe in God, you tap on God. So may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. I don't know about you, but I expect God in general to answer my prayers. God promises to answer when we call upon him. That's why you say that uh, God's phone number is 333. Jeremiah 33 verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you. So that's God's phone number, 333. Call to me and I will answer you. That's what uh, God says. Uh, God may not answer according to the way you ask it because our finite minds are often very limited, just like your kids will ask you things that you may not give to your, your child. It's very common because of our limited understanding of situation, limited understanding of, of our environment, and therefore God is sovereign and and He will answer us, and He will always give us better than what we ask for. Always means always. So in general, we want answers from God. So the first way in which praying to God can help me is because God answers prayer. He will answer if you ask Him. And prayer is often also a, a, a process of purifying your motives. When you pray, it purifies your motives. You begin to ask. It becomes this, God is using that as a process to purify what you are actually asking. In the end, you may not get what you want, but you have somehow the strength to go through it. Uh, that's the power of prayer. And the second word is protect me. In verse 1, it says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the Lord, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Protect you. So answer me, protect me. Here, the psalm turns from a general call for answer to a specific type of answer, protection. Why? Because they are heading to war. They are fighting the enemies. And so they need God to protect them. They are, they are in distress. They are in trouble. In the day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of pressure. So everyone has their days of trouble. Everyone has times in their life when they want protection. And in this case, God protects us when, I call, when we call for help. He even protects us 
when we don't even realize it. Some scholars make the distinction of the word God of Jacob from God of Israel. Uh, in the Old Testament, sometimes uh, is mentioned God of Jacob, sometimes God of Israel. Uh, of course, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Jacob changed his name to Israel. Uh, Jacob means uh, uh, snatcher, the heel snatcher. is a conniver, is a deceiver. Remember, he, he deceived his birthright from Esau. And uh, so Jacob eventually changed his name to Israel. Uh, God gave him a new name. So in Old Testament, sometimes you say God of Jacob, sometimes God of uh, uh, Israel. Israel simply means governed by God. So some people, some scholars say that when you see the word God of Israel in Old Testament, it is referring to, to Israel when they are obedient to God. It's referring to the nation when it was obedient to God. And when it is used in the, con the God of Jacob, it is referring to the side of Jacob that is still, still uh, not refined, still not walking in the spirit that the reference is to the nation when it was following its sinful tendencies. And so when uh, David composed this prayer and used God of Jacob, it is a way to remind us that even when you are not deserving it, God of Jacob, please protect us. Even though we, we, we don't deserve it, God of Jacob, we're still walking in our sinful self. Please still show us your grace, show us your mercy, and uh, show us favor. Please protect us. So the second word on this is learning to asking God to protect us. We, we don't have it on our own. Number three, in, it's in verse two, it says, help me. Verse 2 says, may he send you help. Help is another word that you want to move from depending on yourself to depending on God. May he send you help from the sanctuary. Sanctuary and Zion, they are words that represent spiritual resources. The people ask for God to provide supernatural help. Just like we often say that our partner, our wives, is our helper. Uh, help us. F Psalms 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Or ever-present help in times of need. Another version. So, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help. God is your helper. God is ready to help us. When we learn to pray, God, help me. You are learning to depend on the Lord, not on your own strength. And that itself is powerful when you learn to depend on the Lord. And the, the fourth one is sustain me. Sustain me. It may He send you help from sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. So God doesn't just help in times of need. He sustains us. He gives us the strength to get through the situation. He sustains you. Sustaining. When you depend upon someone to sustain you, you place your trust in that person to provide all of your needs. And God, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord will meet all your needs. That's in the context of Paul uh, 
learning to live in contentment. And therefore, he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Whether I have plenty or I have, I have least, I've learned to live in contentment. Why? Because God will meet all my needs. God will meet all my needs. God has a large enough supply to sustain you. God can sustain you. When you run out of resources, you run out of energy, God will come into the picture when you ask Him for help. He will sustain you. He said He will sustain you from Zion. And then verse the fifth one is, remember me. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. The people pray that David's heart will be in the right relationship with God. May, he, may God remember all that David had done. They ask that his sacrifices and offerings will be acceptable to God. They are hoping in God's mercy that David's heart is in the right place. May He remember us. Remember. God remember us. Verse 6, or 6 1, not verse 6, sorry. The sixth word that we can use is give me. Again, another word that signifies relying on God rather than your own strength alone. Give me. May He give you the desire of your heart. And I like this version. And fulfill your whole purpose. May He give you the desire of your heart. When we seek to walk with the Lord, when we often walk with the Lord, allowing God's Word to, to be the guide and to shape the way we think, our wants, our desire will begin to reflect exactly what God wants and what God desires. And so when we are in line with God's desires, when we are in line with God's will, then our desire when we us of God, God will fulfill it. So when God gives to help me, it is not for my selfish endeavors that God gives to fulfill His purposes in me. That is why the second part of verse 4 says, May He give you the desire of your heart and fulfill your whole purpose. And fulfill your whole purpose. So God doesn't just give us things to make us happy in and of itself, but He gives so that He can fulfill what He wants from us. Some of the things that we ask of God is too little or too low of what God, what God wants to give to us. We may ask God for some things, but God has a better plan. He's changed. He used the prayer to change our desire. And we realize that the, the thing that we ask for is actually not the best for us. So God wants to be my source in life. That is why God wants me to come to Him in prayer. So that's the seventh word, fulfill me. And then the last word here in verse 5 is lift me. Again, another word that reflects us moving from relying on self to learning to depend on God. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. God wants to give victory in our lives. It doesn't matter what kind of difficult, what kind of difficult or challenging situation that we may encounter or we are encountering. You just, we just have to ask God for His help. He wants to lift us up. Lift us up. So those are the eight words 
that the psalmist used the verb to indicate this strong relying on the Lord. Lord, we can't do it. Lord, please help us. Lord, please answer our prayer. Lord, please fulfill our needs. Please, Lord, lift us up. All this is languages of, of need, languages of desperateness, languages of words that, that reflect that we need to depend on God. We can't do it on, on our own. And that is a good sign for a Christian. It's a good sign. It should be the way. The more mature you are, the more we should learn to depend on the Lord. And God, those are the eight words. God just only has one word. Trust me. That's all. So we say all those words to, to, to God. God just replied us with one word. Trust me. Nowhere in the scripture you can ever find uh, the word God said, please understand me. I'm tight. My hand is tight, you know, something like that. I can't do this because whatever. Uh, sometimes we say this to people when they have all sorts of requests from us. Uh, uh, even as a pastor, you know, you should do this, do this, do that, do that. I say, well, we don't have resources. You can't do it, you know. Please try to understand we don't have resources. Uh, so, so, but God never, God never, God, it, it throughout the scripture, 66 books in the Bible, that there's not a single verse that you can find that God actually said, please understand me. Never. Because the reality is that we can't understand God. Our finite mind is just too small to be able to comprehend God. Even how, however, however number of billions of people in this world put together, our brain put together, we can't even conceive of a little of what God is, or who God is. And so, God simply said, trust me. Look at verse 6. Very interestingly, after David uttered this prayer, after, after he led the troops to make this prayer to the Lord, they straight away said, now this I know. Now this I know. He knows. From his walk with the Lord, from being a, a shepherd boy before he became king, he spent so much time with God as a shepherd in a field. He learned to commune with God. He learned to play music, spend time with the Lord. He knows, and God has seen him through many, many battles right from the start when he pulled down Goliath with a sling. He has seen that God has always been on his side. And God is and as they say, when God is on your side, you are in the majority. Trouble challenges what we believe. Hardship requires faith. In other words, what you believe is tested when uncertainty, difficulties, or confusing circumstances emerge. Your faith will be put to test under those circumstances. And the Psalms David, leading his troop in prayer, they express confidence in God's ability to save. And that's why they say, now this I know, after they make all the requests, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. And then this is the famous verse. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But we trust 
in the name of our God. Can you imagine David there standing in front of the troops? I don't know how many people there, a few thousand maybe, I don't know. Can you imagine he's screaming at the top of his voice saying that? A bit like brave heart, you know, Mel Gibson, you know, leading the troops, you know. He said, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. He tells the troop, don't worry, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. We rise and we will stand firm. So he said, trust in God. Yes, don't trust in chariots and horses as important as it is, depending on how many chariots and so, uh, uh, horses that you may have. They will say, don't worry. This is only our means. This is not the one that's going to bring us victory. It is God, the God that we believe in, the God that we are going to depend on, the God that we are relying on. It is this God that is going to bring us victory, not the chariots, not the horses, not the money in your bank account, not your, your power, not your position. It is nothing of that at all. It is God that is going to come through for us. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. And then he concludes by saying, Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. God will answer our prayers. And all that he asks from us is to trust him. I hope this new year you'll move towards the direction. I hope you'll pray the eight words in your own life. The more mature you are, the longer you are a Christian, the more you should learn to depend on the Lord. That is always the marks of spiritual maturity. It's not on your own. Let me give you two illustrations and then I'm done for today. When I was uh, 17 years old, I watched her testimony, her show that they make into movie. Some of us are familiar with her, some don't, younger one probably not. Joni Erickson, or Joni Erickson Tada, married in a Japanese American. I mean, how many people were just celebrating 50 years in a wheelchair? When she was 17 years old, or even younger, I can't remember how old was she, but she went for swim. She went dive from a cliff of somewhere, and then she became quadriplegic. She became quadriplegic. Uh, as a result of a diving accident. And during many years when she was on a wheelchair, she, she says that she would often picture herself lying on a straw mat by the pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem. You have to read John chapter 5 to know the pool of Bethsaida. Remember there was a man who was at the pool of Bethsaida. He was uh, not able to walk for 38 years. And then he, he, he was healed by Jesus. And so she, Johnny Erickson said, I often picture myself lying on a straw mat by the pool of Bethsaida in Jerusalem. That pool where so many invalids went for healing. For hours on end, as she pictured this, she said, she would plead with God for a miraculous healing. It seems in those days as if God did not reply. 30 years later, 
She says she received a revelation of sorts during a trip to Jerusalem with her husband, Kent. He pushed her wheelchair down the steps of the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering to those who have been to Israel, make a left turn at the ship gates, walk by St. Anne's Church, and ran straight into the ruined pool of Basaira. While resting her arms on the guardrail overlooking those dusty ruins, Joni Ericton, my flashback 30 years earlier when she had pictured herself lying on a mat in this very place. Suddenly, she said, like a thunderbolt, she was stricken by the realization that God has given, given her a far better response to her prayers than the one she asked for. So, and she was overwhelmed with emotion. She began to thank him for healing her. You see, she said, God had miraculously turned her wheelchair into a, her secret place, she says. That day, Joni said she could have cried out, Oh, wheelchair, I bless thee. Because it was in this prison that you're confined to this wheelchair that she learned the secret of secret prayer. Unable to run here and there with perfectly formed limbs, she had spent countless hours practicing the principles of prayer. And as her life grew ever richer and deeper, she was enabled to bless multitudes out of the overflow of her life spent in the secret place. It was her secret, secret place that she discovered there were more important things than walking. And as she grew in intimacy with her Creator, she learned to bless what she called the cross that crafted her character. She treasured her injury because it made it possible for her to experience the invaluable treasure of undistracted time alone with God. And this is her prayer. She said, Lord Jesus, the weaker I am in this wheelchair, the harder I lean on you. And the harder I lean on you, the stronger I discover you to be. Keep my heart strong, my soul stirred, my vision clear, and my enthusiasm fresh to help others know you this way. Help me to boast in my affliction so that others might delight in theirs. Your power and peace is worth it all. All your glory worth more. Jesus, in short, I would rather be in this chair knowing you this way than on my feet without you. And at journey's end, may I testify one more time that your grace was enough. That was her prayer. Learning to move from self-reliant 
do depending on God. And when you do that, there are tremendous amount of power that come from your within. And that is why she can say, celebrating 50 years in a wheelchair. My final illustration is from the Bible. That is a fascinating incident recorded for us in the Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's a beautiful story. I hope you have, you have time to go and read through the prayer there. It's very similar to David's prayer in Psalms 20. At that time, the king was King Jehoshaphat. Way after David, David died. His son Solomon took over. Solomon died and the kingdom split into two. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Northern kingdom have 10 tribes and it called itself Israel. Southern kingdom, only two tribes. It calls itself Judah. And in Judah, there are 20 kings. And out of the 20 kings, there were eight good kings. And King Jehoshaphat was the king. Then in chapter 20 in 2 Chronicles. He was a God-fearing king of Judah. The Holy Land was being invaded by a vast army of Moabites and Ammonites, Israel's arch enemies. And some men hurried to Jerusalem to tell the king. He said, King, they are attacking us. What did Jehoshaphat do? His instinctive reaction was to seek help from God and also to urge the nation quickly to fast pray. The people came from all over the land and gathered in Jerusalem around the temple, much like what David is doing in Psalms 20. Gather them together, men, women, children, and every babies in arms. They gathered together, and the king, Jehoshaphat, led them in prayer. Now, this is a long prayer. Some are relevant to us, some are not. I'm just going to cut and piece certain, but I, I suggest you go back and, and read through this prayer, okay? From verse 6 onwards, this beautiful prayer. This is what he prays, okay? This is King Jehoshaphat's prayer. Beautiful prayer. He said, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? Remember, they are under attack. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. And no one can withstand you. We will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and you will save us. But now, Lord, here are men from Ammon. Moabite, Mausir. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I can't help but put in this slide. 
Because God is going to fight for them. God is going to fight for them. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. The battle is not yours, but God. And this is exactly what happened. This is exactly what happened. He said, this is what God says to them. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Z, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeru. You will not have to fight this battle. Second time. Take up your positions. Stand firm. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. And the Lord will be with you. Oh, wow. This is a lot better. And you know what happened at the end? I fast forward down to 29. The fear of God. And then, and then of course, the Lord took over and completely destroyed the enemies. And then the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. I don't know about what this year is going to happen, 2022, none of us, or what kind of challenges that I will face, or you will face, your family will face, or what this church will face. None of us know. We don't have a crystal ball. But we have a better than a crystal ball. We have a God who knows the future. We have a God who is, who is sovereign, who is in charge, who is in control. And He will fight the war for us. He's, he is the one that is going to lead the way. So for us as believers, what we need to do is learning to depend on the Lord. Learning to fix our eyes from ourselves and cast our eyes on the Lord. This is the mark of spiritual maturity. It is the secret to Christian life, in my eyes, of learning to depend on the Lord, moving from self-reliance to God-reliance. And the more we depend on the Lord, as what Johnny Erickson say, the more I lean on you, and the harder I lean on you, the stronger I discover you to be. So I hope this year will be that year that you will be moving from self to God and move down the pathway of maturity and experience tremendous power in your own walk with the Lord. Father, we just want to say thank you for this beautiful prayer that you left for us this year. Psalms 20 and even Second Chronicles chapter 20. Such beautiful prayers as a reminder that the battle is yours. Lord, as a pastor, I have lots of concern. I have plenty of concern uh, for the way the society is moving. The social values and all that with the Suppression Act coming into place in February and uh, how the world is strongly moving down towards a secular, humanistic kind of environment. Do what you can and then we seek to encourage people by that. But in reality, we can't. We need God. And so we just want to uh, pray this prayer in Psalms 20 for this year that you answer us, that you will protect us, you will help us, you will grant us, you will remember us, 
you will sustain us. You will give to us. You will lift us up. And you only have one request from us, and that is we trust you. So may this year be the year we learn to trust you, moving from self to God, and depend on you more and more and more as we march towards this year. Thank you, Lord, as we close this morning service with this beautiful song once again, that in Christ alone and in Christ alone, our hope is found as we learn to depend on you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. And in Jesus' name, amen.